School PR professionals spend a few weeks a year participating in professional development and networking, if they're lucky. We use this time to connect through conversation and shared experiences. Conversation is one of the best parts of our jobs, but then we go back to our daily work and the time for connection begins to wear off. Welcome to School PR Happy Hour. During our time together, our goal is to continue a sense of collaboration and shared conversation throughout the whole year. We are a community, a community of communicators that lean on each other in hard times and times of celebration and learn from each other regularly. This podcast gives us the chance to get to know each other better by sharing our passions about furthering education one story at a time. Whether you are listening on your morning commute or winding down after work, we are so glad you're here and look forward to learning alongside you today. What's up, everybody, and welcome into another episode of School PR Happy Hour. My name is Justin Deering. I'm a communication strategist for CISO Communications, and I'm glad you're here today to learn with us. Right now in education, a lot of our colleagues across the school PR world are having to deal with some very complex issues and are having to require some very strategic communications in these times. And today I brought on a familiar voice, somebody you've heard from before. She's even hosted an episode for us before, and a good friend and colleague of mine at CISO, Julie Thanum, APR, is here today to talk a little bit about these complex issues. I think we're going to focus quite a bit during this time on some communications when it comes to school finance and what that looks like. But uh, I'm excited to have this conversation. We've been talking a lot about this at CISO lately, and I felt like this was a topic that needed to be brought to the podcast and brought to everybody who's listening out there. So thanks for being here today, and let's dive into this conversation. Hey friends, Justin here. We're so excited to have Class Intercom back as a sponsor for Season 5 of School PR Happy Hour. We all know the demands are higher than ever to tell your school story across all platforms and mediums. With Class Intercom, you can spread out some of that work and bring in more voices to tell your story. Clients get unlimited user access for both staff and students on a secure and moderated platform. Imagine effortlessly collecting and sharing captivating stories that showcase the true spirit of your school. But that's not all. Class Intercom also offers archival and analytic features to track your content's performance and make informed decisions. So join us at School PR Happy Hour and raise a virtual glass to Class Intercom. Elevate your school's storytelling game today. Visit classintercom.com to learn more. All right, Julie, welcome in to, I guess what, this is your third or fourth episode of School PR Happy Hour over the years, but we're happy to have you here. It's exciting, and it's a, it's a, it's a topic that is front of mind for so many people, complex issues, and all the different things going on across the country with schools and public education, and I'm just excited to have a conversation about how to communicate through these issues. So, welcome in. Thank you. It's always a, a good time to join the podcast, and I really had fun hosting. It was my first time to host um, a while back, but that was probably the most fun I had. So, you you've got you've got a fun job. Well, I will tell you this: it's it's crazy that the most listened to episode of last season was yours, not any of mine. It was yours. So. Well, I'm sure that was because of the wonderful individuals I was uh, interviewing. But I love I love that fact. Maybe I can uh, continue but, to hold that over yeah. your head a little bit. Just every once in a while, just remind you, hey, I did it once and got better numbers than you. No, I love it. I love it. That was probably me listening to it several times. But. <laughs> so. So today we're going to talk a little bit about complex issues and, you know, 
we're going to get into some specifics. Probably, I, I believe we're probably going to go down the finance route pretty heavily. But, you know, as we're thinking of some of those out there, some of the complex issues that folks are facing, just off the top of your head, what are some of the biggest issues that you think we're facing as school PR communicators and public education as a whole? Wow, that's um, that's a great question. I think right now that um, across the country, a lot of people are really struggling with the political attacks, the partisan attacks against uh, public ed, the false many false narratives that kind of came out post-COVID, during COVID and post-COVID, some of which are lingering around. I think a lot of our colleagues that we've talked to, you know, that um, they're dealing with the loss of students uh, and then a dwindling student enrollment. And that I think a lot of people thought those students would come back after COVID. Some of them, of course, have. But we're seeing um, districts across, I know, our state and across the nation who are closing schools right and left. And they're calling it right-sizing. And I, I give them credit for taking a negative and, and turn it into something um, that, that uh, and is the right thing to do uh, to be efficient with tax dollars when your enrollment's dropping. But I think that's a, a, a tough issue because it comes with very emotional ties that people have sometimes to their school campuses, to where their kids have gone, where they went, um, just especially in small communities or in communities that um, really love their neighborhood schools. I think that's, that's really tough. I think finance issues all the way around right now, we're we're seeing um, elections are very hard to pass. Some of that's because of the first topic that I picked, the politics mm-hmm. and the false narratives. But I think it's really tough right now um, to get people to vote, to get people registered, and um, to get them informed about the issues enough um, where they don't allow all the political and, and false narratives to get in the middle of that. And so there's just some tough things going out there. You know, we say a lot um, in working with CISO Communications, people are going to call us for the easy, easy things. Where when, when they're calling us now, they're, they need help with some really hard problems and, and they need problem solving and they need um, good engagement to be able to do that. And so some of those things are across the board, uh, what it takes to communicate a complex complex issue, um, but I think it's um, it's getting tougher tougher out there. And the thing about what you just said and all the different topics that you brought up is they're all intermingled. So it you know Texas is not unique. Yes, we are going through education finance issues and and things like that here, but that's going on everywhere. Everybody's budgets are tightening. Everybody's has a little less money. Everybody's competing in a competitive marketplace now for education. Where when I was in school, I just went where I was told to go. There really wasn't a bunch of options. But like losing students has a direct issue on how much finances you're getting in most places. And you know, uh charter schools and other type of schools opening against you. That's competition. That's pulling students away. It's pulling funding away. Then there's the ESAs and the vouchers. And then there's all these other things. And you said something to me a couple months ago, like I said, we've been talking about finances a lot lately. And, uh, you said, Justin, I've been trying to teach people how school finance works for 30 years and it, it's not sticking. It's not, it's, and that's so frustrating to me. And I think that, um, you know, one small example I think you and I were talking about is the difference between um, maintenance and operations and debt service, whatever you might call it in your in your state or, or in your school finance system. 
just those simple things, even teachers have not understood for a lot of years. And so we, it's, it's, um, there's something that our vice president, Bob Noyad talks about a little bit that when you're talking about complex, complex issues, I'm going to just stumble over that word a couple of times here. Um, let's hope I don't keep doing that, but there's four major kind of concepts that you have to think about are components to your communication. And that's time context, repetition, and message layering. And I've been thinking about that lately on some of these topics that we're talking about, whether it's dwindling enrollment or, or tough budget situations or um, political or partisan uh, and false narratives. It takes time and um, it's not something, it, over time we have to continually um, remind people about what the facts are. And you gotta think about the how fluid um, people are moving in and out of your district and how you have so many new audiences and you have to con uh, give them context for how this information is pertinent to them. But the repetition is probably the one that hits me the most is you have to say it over and over again. And we have for, I have for over three decades now been explaining finance and budget uh, terms and, and concepts to to uh, some of our audiences, but you also then have to layer in the message. And I do think, let's talk a minute about, I think one of the problems with a complex issue is that people think, well, that's hard to explain, so I'm just not going to spend the time doing right. it. And I think a lot of our colleagues across um, the nation can relate to sitting in a meeting and hearing something that someone's explaining or showing us what they're about to put out to parents or to taxpayers and us going, yeah, I don't understand what that means. And if I don't understand what it means, our readers or our, our key audiences aren't gonna understand it too. And so we've gotta to learn to break down those complex issues into smaller kind of bite-sized and digestible um, messages and then layer in, um, it's almost like, I think I said this one time, it's almost like talking to your, your child, your small child about, um, adult kind of topics and they ask you a question and you just need to answer the question in its basic form uh, as easy as you can and see if they ask another question. And everybody has those taxpayers out there that want to dig deep. They want to get down in the weeds and they want, you know, transparency and they want to ask a thousand questions at a meeting and look over your charts and look over a one number in a, you know, hundred page budget. But mostly people don't have that time or mm -hmm. that desire to get that deep into the weeds. And so we have to think what our most important concepts are, try to deliver those um, in a context that um, our audiences will understand and they can relate to, and, and then just be repetitive and layer in the messages and more information as you need to. So we're, we're rolling out some finance plans um, with uh, some of our school districts and our school communicators across the country in that very, with that very concept. I thought Bob did, does a good job of explaining those components to a complex issue are very, very important. And it just takes, it takes time. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that people don't have, feel like they have a lot of. Um, the other thing I think, and I don't know, see what, see what you think about this. I think this is a general statement, okay? It's not everybody, but I don't know that our finance folks or even our superintendents like to be questioned too much about the budget. Right. I feel like when you start to ask budget questions, there's some 
red flag that goes up. Why are you asking these questions? Why do I need to explain this to you? And um, a lot of time when we're talking to folks in the finance department, they'll say, well, we have that on our website. And you'll go to like a financial transparency page or something. And first of all, nobody is going to those pages. And you can look at the analytics and see no one's going there. But I'm, I'm not saying they're bad to have. Transparency is awesome. But so often they're just a list of documents or PDF files and no one's going to pour through all those files. You've really got to think of your finance and your budget explaining it every single year as budget time comes around as a topic that you need to explain across all of your methods and tools. And you can certainly point them back to your financial transparency website or some finance department website you have. But if you're expecting, and this is what my experience has been that a lot of time the finance folks and the superintendent or the school board expect people to go to their website to find this information and dig through sometimes hundreds of links and PDF files and documents and charts to figure out the answer to a simple question. Right. And we've got to think more in terms of marketing, marketing our message, marketing our budget, explaining our budget in ways um, that we need our audiences to know and understand and to take the time to do that. Oh, there's a couple things there that I'd like to unpack a little bit. I have a, you know, you're saying ask the question or answer the question at a surface level. And if they want to ask more questions, they will. So we live here in a neighborhood, brand new neighborhood and, you know, a neighboring district but passed a bond, but they also didn't have the money to give teacher raises this year. And the neighbor was like, well, then why are we giving them more of our money if it's not going to teachers? And I'm like, I, all I said was the money from the bond can't pay teachers raises. And he literally was like, oh, okay. That's all he wanted to know. He didn't need to know, explain anything to me. He was, he, he walked into the conversation frustrated because he knew, he knows what I do, I do for a living. So he asked me about it. And I said, that, that money can't go to teachers raises. And he goes, oh, didn't know that. Cool. And that was in no other questions, but Another neighbor would be like, but why? <laughs> but why? But why? And, th- and you have those answers and you just keep giving it that level. And if there's a but why after that, go in, in deeper and deeper. I love that. Um, another uh, area that you were talking about is just, you know, the budgeting. I mean, I think that that's, you know, bringing the budget up and kind of seeing the, the eyes kind of go wide about why you ask it. I think that's budgeting in general. I think that's money in general in a marriage and a relationship in this house. Um, we start talking budget, it gets tense because it's money and it's something that, that people don't like talking about. And then even in a corporate world, educational world, there is always, like you said, that buzz, that red flag around, well, what are you doing with my money? And that's where these finance plans come in and the, this can like campaigns of, of knowledge. It's not, you know, what I'm trying to say, it is not, they just beat you over the head with fine. It's just a constant reminder of, Hey, this is where this stuff's coming from. A bus costs this much from which bucket, you know, and that kind of stuff. So I think that I want to dive deeper into the, these, these, the finance communication stuff that we've been talking about and working with, but also just like, why do it? And what's the why behind it? And why do, why do we need to take the time to inform everybody about the various areas of finance, whether it's here in Texas or in any other state. And, you know, we will have people that say, it's because you're about to call a bond election or you're in the middle of a bond election and you want my money. So let's talk about what is what does it look like to, you know, this complex issue of finance to communicate it in a sense that it's not about a yes vote soon or 
asking for more money or a Vader. It's just, we want you to know and see and trust what we're doing with your money. So let's talk a little bit about why we're doing that, the way that it, what the way it should be done. How is that? And what does that look like versus the bond elections and the Vaders and the things like that out there? I think one of the things is that for so many years, uh, school administrators and leaders were just the trusted educators and people trusted the decisions they were making. And so we didn't talk a lot about budgets. It was something we do annually but we just talked about it when it came time to ask someone for um, to go to the polls and to make a decision on a tax levy or referendum or a bond election. And so we waited until that time to try to explain finance-related um, Im- important information to voters so that they could be informed when they vote. But when you really stop and think about it, we we adopt a budget every year. And in, um, in, in most cases, you start very early in, in, you know, in early fall, uh, right after you adopt your budget and set your tax rate, there's a cycle of starting that whole process over again. And you begin to, um, collect demographics. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people don't understand in, in a lot of cases, not all cases, but in a lot of cases, it's not necessarily enrollment, it's attendance rates, that actually impacts the amount of state funding you get. That's some uh, communication that we've been sharing a lot um, here in our home state. But I think that we we finally realized we can't wait until an election's coming up. We can't wait till we're asking them for more money to explain to them what they're we're doing with uh, the money they've already given us. Um, I remember uh, we used to say a saying, and it certainly isn't one of my sayings, but um, I don't know where it originated, but the two most important things that you deal with are someone's tax dollars and their children and not necessarily in that order, but sometimes in that order. So you're making decisions about their children, which are, are, are very important to them, but also their tax dollars. And so I think that um, being transparent and being willing, so to speak, to open up the books has, there's been a reluctance to do that for fear, I guess, of being criticized or people getting too much into the weeds that they want to know every line item or whatever. And I don't think that's the case. I think here's the thing that my experience in public education is that you have a lot of really hardworking people um, putting a budget together to meet the needs of kids. Some of those needs of kids um, cost more than others, whether that's because they are qualified for special education or gifted and talented Um, or English as a second language, or some of those services come with what they call kind of a weighted uh, funding system, and you get more money for some kids because of the services you offer them. You know, just explaining that to someone, um, you know, and, and, and as an example, you know, how does your state rank? These are things you should know. How does your state rank in per pupil spending compared to other states? Well, you and I know Texas doesn't rate very well. Um, apparently they just went from 42nd to 40th and we're all supposed to be excited about that. Do we know how many states there are? Right. <laughs> because 40th is not good <laughs> um, uh, out of 50 states. So I, I think it's important for us to realize that there's a lot of information and facts out there that the general voter, or the general taxpayer out there doesn't know. How much money do you get in state funding? And you and I know, and, and this has been eye-opening to me, working with multiple clients, whereas I had one district and one budget for all these years that I've was trying to communicate and know that in and out. And I tried to be a budget expert. I tried to ask a lot of questions and I learned from my CFOs. In fact, if there's 
any advice I would give to somebody out there is, you know, if you've not been invited to the table to finance committees or finance meetings or, or sitting down with your budget manager and your CFO, um, I invite yourself to that table. Ask if you can sit in. Ask about things you don't understand and become an expert in your own district's budget. That's one piece of advice I would have. But then you've got to break it down and say what's actually relevant. This is a lot of information, a lot of charts, a lot of detail what's actually pertinent to our taxpayers. And one thing I've learned working with different clients is we, we have one district that gets like, you know, uh, 68% of their funding from the state. We have another one that's up in the like 85% comes from local taxpayers. So every, it's like your, your community, every community and every district is different and they may get a basic student allotment, which you may have to explain what that is. And in Texas, you know, it hasn't changed since 2019, even though inflation's going up. And so um, just trying to walk people through the context of a budget, it can be complicated, but that's not an excuse for not explaining it. And I think it's important to become kind of an expert in your, your own district's budget. And um, obviously, if you, if you need help or you need someone that knows more about it, then, then seek out that support and seek out someone that can, can help you with that messaging. But um, it's, no, it's no longer okay just to not talk about things that are complex. Right. I think we have to jump in there and we have to explain it because there is a lot of mistrust out there. And there definitely, if there's not mistrust, there's definitely, definitely not just an understanding that educators are the experts and what they're doing is, is probably best. We still have to explain it and we can't get defensive about that. And when we're, you know, when we're approaching this with clients and just in general, it's taking these, like you said, finding what's relevant in the budget and sharing that with taxpayers. But it's also sharing it in a way that you said digestible, just tiny little bits and pieces. And we did a project that we didn't think we would be able to like, we were like, Hey, let's explain taxes in a minute and a half. Yeah. And I don't know that we did, but I do know that people have looked at him like that's, that makes sense a little bit. So it's taking these, this huge, you know, huge budget and huge item and breaking it down and figuring out, in your community, what are the pain points? The pain points are where are my tax dollars going? How much money is it going towards my kids? Whatever, it, like you said, every community is different. Figuring out those pain points and answering those questions and being truthful about them because, you know, sometimes we have screwed up with money. Sometimes we have spent too much money in right-sizing. We've put too many campuses in or we hired too many teachers. You know, a lot of people tried to, you know, did their best not to let go of folks during COVID, but now those kids haven't come back. And we're overstaffed at some places. And just being open and transparent there is the big thing. But when you're doing this this kind of this kind of work, um, and to kind of flip the script a little bit and go go a little bit R pie on you because I know you love that. Um, I love when the the topic goes to R pie. And so if we're talking if we're talking the four step process, and there's not a true. In a finance campaign, there's not a true call to action if we're doing it in a way that it is not a vote yes or go vote. So what does the call to action look like in just a traditional, and we're sticking with finance, a traditional finance campaign? What If we're sharing these things and keeping them informed, what is, what is our, hey, this is what to do with it? Tell I your friends? A, I think, a, uh, yeah, I think a call to action <laughs> is always to connect with your local school district. And there are so many districts now that are dealing with 
um, audiences out there, especially audiences that are making voting decisions for them that are 55 years and older. And some of those have kids or grandkids in the system, but a lot of them don't. And so getting them connected to the schools. Um, one thing that one thing that among many things that COVID did to us is as, as things closed down is we shut we shut off our schools from our communities because we had to for safety purposes or um, felt compelled to at that time with the information we had at, at the time about um, the virus and everything. But but people were reluctant to open that back up. They were right. reluctant to get people back in their schools. We've got to get those connections made and build those relationships. And so not every school district has this, but if you have um, any kind of advisory committees like a budget and finance advisory committee or any way for people to get involved, like come volunteer in a classroom, um, come be a substitute teacher, sign up to be a substitute. I think getting people connected and back into their districts is the biggest call to action right now because um, the disconnection is not serving us well. We, we're seeing it at the polls. We're seeing it in narratives on social media. We're seeing it in mistrust. Um, really in a lot of ways where those false narratives just started seeping in and, and people will regurgitate what they hear. And this is why it's so important to go back to what Bob said about repetition and um, just to constantly remind things. One of the best things that you can have happen is to have a citizen write to you or show up at a board meeting, speak during public comments and start regurgitating some of the things they've heard in your finance plan. Did you know that 72% of our budget is made up of personnel? If that's the case, in order to cut 8 million out of the budget, we're going to have to downsize. And some people, whether that's through attrition which, you know, explaining is just people resigning or leaving on their own, right? Or a RIF, a reduction in force, which you might need to explain as well, is when a district, you know, adopts a resolution that a reduction in force is in, in play and you start eliminating positions that people are still in. Right. Which means they're pink slipped or, or yes. lose their job. Um, and you got to think about a lot of taxpayers and a lot of people across the country have gone through job loss and have gone through downsizing and have gone through those types of job losses. It hasn't been a huge thing in education. Right. I'm not saying people haven't ever lost their job in education, but we tend to get people and hang on to them. Um, We've been pretty protected through. We have, we have. I mean, when you look at the, the last five years, there's been a huge shift of people who lost their jobs left and right. During COVID, because they had to, because there was no income coming at the company level, but education has stayed pretty sheltered and protective. And now that we've returned to normal, oh, I just hit my mic. <laughs> now that we've returned to normal wow. and we're seeing the trends and the students aren't returning as quickly, unfortunately, and the budgets and the, the tightening of the, the belts across the country, there is a need to make some adjustments. And, you know, a lot of the people that I personally work with, it, you know, there a lot of them are looking at through attrition, and it's you know, it's already tough enough to find good teachers, so that's an easy out I think at times to be like, hey, we're just going to go through attrition. We get down to the number, then we're going to go hire some you know whatever we need to do. But yeah, it's we've been in this bubble, this protected bubble, and it's it's kind of popping a little bit, and we're going to have to have some complex conversations and over some complex issues, and it starts by being pretty transparent with what you're doing. Well, and, and also realizing you can't keep doing the same things you've done when the income 
levels have have gone down when your state funding has gone down or when um, enrollment has been impacted you can't keep doing the same things and you you gave a good great example um, of after, you know post-covid teachers felt overworked and 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 believe me they were they were they're tired um, they have a lot of reason to be um, tired and tired of the attacks and, and you know political attacks and the uh, partisan politics and the false narratives and different things like that. But in all of that, we have to realize that we have a responsibility to to be the most efficient with the dollars that we have available to us. And like any family, you can't have everything when you don't have that income coming in, and you have to make some hard decisions. And districts really need to listen. And I think that's another piece that we haven't talked too much about is um, listening campaigns. And a, a lot of times we think we know what our what our parents and what our taxpayers want, and we've just been able to go out and make those decisions on behalf of them for kids and um, make those tough budget decisions, but that's not always the case. And we have to go out and listen. And I'm gonna give you one example. One of the districts that I worked in was had to make some budget cuts years ago. And we um, did a process where we went out and we started with our staff, which, you know, uh, through RPI is internal communication, prioritized first, um, because we wanted to arm all of our teachers and our support staff um, not only arm them with what was going on with the budget and explain the problem and why we had a deficit budget, but also to come out alongside them and see if they had any ideas for ways that we could cut the budget or increase revenue. And we were pretty creative and we, we every employee in the district got to give their input. And we it was like one of those brainstorming sessions where nobody has a bad idea in the moment. Some of them were bad ideas, by right. the way, but nobody has a bad idea in the moment and everybody's heard and we go through this whole process and it's it takes time. And that's another piece of that four-part thing that Bob says when you're um, communicating complex issues is you have to take the time. And that engagement and listening to audiences actually brought us some solutions that we hadn't thought about. And one thing I thought that we did really well, and this is another takeaway if you're going through budget cuts in your district, um, we only allowed people to cut their own budgets. So let's say you're the middle school staff. You don't get to say the elementary needs to do this and athletics needs to do this. No, you were, you were tasked with looking and scrubbing your own budget and going through and finding anything that you felt like you could cut without impacting services to students and make those lists. And then we had them go back and prioritize them. And the ones that rose to the top were the ones that we passed along to the district to look at. And so when you're looking at your own budget, first of all, you know the most about your own budget, but that empowered the employees to be able to have a say, to be heard, to be listened to. And there were things that we got to explain. Um, one example was someone said, we just need to charge parents when they drive on our property, drop their kids on well, you can't do that. That's not a legal thing we can do. But explaining to people, this is why we can't do that. And you will get down in the weeds with employees. They'll say things like, we don't need to buy t-shirts and we need to bring our own coffee. But you need to let them go through that process of thinking through what money's spent on. They need to know what the money's spent on. And a lot of it is aha moments. Mm -hmm. uh, when a community finds out that 86% of your budget is spent on people, you know, the first thing that they're going to say, what do you usually hear? Well, then you need to cut central office. Well, then you start talking about, okay, and I'll give you another example, another district, um, looking at their budget deficit, they were probably going to have to cut 400 people. Well, that was drastically going to impact 
the the classroom. They couldn't right. keep it away from the classroom. But people said, start with your administrators. Okay, that's only about 80. Right. We're not going to get to 400 and some, you know, positions cut by, by cutting all the administrators. And then you need to help them understand the administrative team, and I've always believed this, exists to support the campuses. The administrative team at Central Office exists to support the campuses. So when you take away positions at Central Office, where naturally does that work then go? It gets pushed back onto classroom teachers, on support personnel, onto campus administrators. So you you simply, and there's simply some things you can't eliminate. So all of that is, all of that to say that is when you involve employees and you involve the community, in that particular case, we even put surveys out. Okay, these are the things we're thinking about. Which do you support? Which do you not support? We were going to cut transportation. It was something that we're not required to do. Uh, we could sell our buses. We could not hire bus drivers. We could, which was controversial, by the way. But but that kept it out of the classroom, right? And our parents were livid. They were like, "No, we would rather pay for a seat on the bus than to lose busing service altogether." So we said, "Okay." Great. So instead of cutting transportation, you know what we did? We put in a pay-to-ride system. And then they said, well, if I've got five kids, though, that's punitive. Okay, we'll put a family cap. So all of that to say that the whole process was listening and learning and taking that feedback back to see what was viable and what would really make a difference. And there were a lot of little things. There were probably 600, 600 different items on our spreadsheet that were given to us from departments and campuses. Some of them made little impact, some of them made pretty big impact. And um, some of the big things, if you haven't looked at, I've also heard Bob Noyed say this um, to districts, some big things if you haven't looked at, your staffing levels, so classroom sizes, that sometimes just going up one or two more kids won't impact the education that they're having in the classroom but it can impact your um, bottom line on the number of teachers you need. And then through attrition, when someone resigns, you don't fill that position. Um, the other thing I've heard him say is scheduling. So you have to look at your schedules and then a lot of schedules because we wanna support teachers, we give um, more than is required in either off-duty um, you know, conference time, things like that. Our schedules are really built around collaboration and there might be different ways to schedule that will require less staff members. Um, and then there's also support positions, rather those, and I think they're extremely important. Instructional coaches, a lot of district added those after COVID, IT positions. Now that in so many places, they're not doing online school or you're not allowed to do online school, um, which kind of came out of COVID as well. Uh, you have to really stop and think are all those IT positions. And I know we know districts that are looking at their technology departments and those mm -hmm. are tough. But if the needs changed and things shift um, in what you're allowed to do or what you need to do, those are the things you got to look at. And um, I, I just kind of consider nothing's off the table. I remember a teacher being really upset and emailing the uh, superintendent at the time and saying, I will not participate in this. It's not fair. They want to get rid of my job. Everybody at the campus doesn't think. And the superintendent came back and said, all the more reason to pull your chair up to the table, explain your value in your position, what you offer, and to get in there and dig in and be a part of finding solutions. And I thought that was pretty powerful, um, just giving people a voice. Yeah. Hi friends, this is Olivia Doden and I'm a communications coordinator at CISO Communications. 
We are so excited to be a part of the School PR Happy Hour family, and we hope you learn as much from the show as we do. You can find inspiring new ways to share your district story when you partner with CISO Communications on a baseline communications assessment. In just three to four weeks, we can work to identify the strengths and opportunities in your current work and then share an approachable, customized plan of action. How do we do it? First, you'll take a pre-assessment survey, and then we have a conversation with you and key leaders in your district. Once complete, our team will create a report that provides you with clear action steps based on nine strategic communication areas. If you are interested in learning more about our baseline communications assessment and how it can benefit your school district, we'd love to chat with you. CISO Communications is a division of CISO, which stands for Center for Effective School Operations. We also support schools with transportation, HR, finance, and technology. Visit thecso.com to connect with us today and be sure to follow us on our social channels at CISOcoms. Let us help you rethink possible. So as a follow-up to the, you know, RPI and the call to action piece of that as someone who's currently working on the evaluation point of my panel presentation. Say, do we need to, not everybody knows what RPI is, right? Right. So, so you know, re- research, start? planning, implementation, and evaluation. And um, this kind of campaign and this kind of communications we're talking about, you know, with with a bond election, you can go to evaluate. There's a pretty quick, easy way to evaluate how to do. <laughs> and then there's other things you look at, like voter turnout and registration and things like that. But in this kind of situation where there's the, the call to action really is get involved. Right, get involved, ask your questions, learn. How do you know, like, what does success look like when it comes to these kind of complex issues, whether it's finance or, you know, staffing or classroom or student enrollment? Like, some of these don't have hard data that can say, yeah, this improved here to here. So what, in your opinion, what does success look like in a campaign or in a, in a movement like this over finance and complex issues like this? Well, I'm going to start at the very basic response to that in saying that anything more that you do is going to be better than what you were doing when you weren't doing anything. Right. (laughs) Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So um, remember that when you're evaluating, it's qualitative and quantitative. So sometimes um, it's not just numbers because there are a lot of tools. I, I would say that if you are going to set up any kind of website, microsite, anything Um, to send people to a place where they can get finance facts and information about your budget, about school finance. I think you need to have um, Google Analytics tied to a a way to measure. Uh, We have a way to measure even when we mail a postcard home and there's a QR code on it, sending them back to a microsite, a finance microsite. It actually can measure that it came directly from that QR code. So I think there's a lot of tools available to us. You have to make sure that your accounts and your your microsites are set up that way and that you can measure. Um, but I think um, we, we helped a district not too long ago uh, do, and it was, it was an amazing amount of work, six postcards for their bond election. And by... I thought six postcards was a lot, but it is that repetition, Mm -hmm. right? And so somewhere around postcard number four, taxpayers started bringing them in 
to some of the public meetings and stuff for the bond election and everything. And they would have them in their hands. And I remember our colleague there saying, did you, did you get the first three postcards? It's like, I don't know that I saw the first three postcards, but I got this one. Right. And I think it's a test, a testament to saying that repetition is very, very important, but some things are anecdotal because, um, she will swear to this day that if we had not done six postcards, that it probably would not have turned out the way it did, where all four of their propositions actually passed. And I think we were all a little surprised in the climate we were in that all four passed. Um, and it's kind of unheard of, especially in our state right now, if you've got multiple propositions for them all to pass. Right. Um, but that repetition and everything. And so that is like even a story of you may only have and, you know, we've done bond meetings where four people show up and, you, you know, um, three of them are board members and <laughs> one of them is a taxpayer. And you do the presentation anyway. But you, if you have one really great presentation and question and answer session with that one taxpayer and they go out and tell 10 more of their friends or whatever, then that can be effective. And so I don't think we should get caught up in too much in our site got this many hits. I think it's about are we creating an atmosphere of transparency? Are we getting feedback that we're answering their questions um, do they care? And there's going to be times when it feels like nobody out there cares. Right. I still think it's important to communicate. I think it's important for you to annually mail or send something to taxpayers without kids in school. We tell that to districts all the time. Not a lot of people are doing that. They don't see the value in it. They don't want to spend the money to do it. But we can tell you time and time again, we can see, um, kind of the impact of putting that off and not doing that annually and not engaging, especially with your your voters and your taxpayers of 55 and older, it, it comes back to you in many negative ways that um, I've just uh, never really heard a district be disappointed that they constantly shared information about their budget or a taxpayer's disappointed that a district was transparent. I think you just keep doing it. Um, and I know to your, to your point, sometimes it's the number of people that show up at a presentation. Sometimes it's a great email you get from a taxpayer. Sometimes it's support from a city leader that goes out and starts sharing some of the budget facts um, and actually kind of reinforces um, and builds trust in, in what the district's saying. Sometimes you find out that you have a problem and, um, you, you know, you mentioned, you know, financial issues. I think I wrote for Ensboro a really long time ago in a, and this is funny because I'm just remembering it was Bob Noyd that asked me to do this. This is years <laughs> before I knew that Bob and I were going to work together at CISO, but years ago, he is a past president of Ensboro and, um, I was not president of Ensboro yet, um, I think this was in 2012, he had me write a chapter about communicating difficult budget issues in a book for school leaders. Um, I wish I knew the name of the book. I probably have a copy of it somewhere. Um, but I was so excited to be a part of it that I actually got to, to write a chapter in it. But the chapter that I wrote was about communicating difficult budget news. And you, sometimes you just have to fess up. You know, we, we work with individuals. Sometimes there's missing money. Sometimes I, I can remember one time working with the district and I won't name the district, but I, I wish I could because I was very proud of the CFO. There was money missing because of a night deposit that we couldn't explain. And he called for an independent investigation of him and his department. 
and we made the announcement. We were proactive and made the announcement that there was money missing. It involved a night deposit. We couldn't account for it, and we had asked for an independent investigation into ourselves and our processes. Come to find out, it was stolen at the bank. Wow. And, but it built so much trust, and I thought, you know, what great leadership, what ethical leadership to be willing to say, not only do we open our books, but hold us accountable. If we have a process that's not, you know, or we have an employee that needs to be addressed or something like that, hold us accountable. And that just that just does wonders. That's qualitative, not quantitative kind of research or evaluation. Um, but it, it, it takes time to build up that trust. They're not just going to automatically trust you because you have credentials and you're a CFO. Um, it, it takes building trust. And most CFOs I know, what man, they know their stuff, right? They know those budgets right and left. They understand complex issues. Translating that and being willing to work with your communications team to communicate that is a whole nother thing. And I don't see that happening as much as it should because you start asking questions and people get defensive. Um, but they should look at it as an opportunity to show value in their work and to show people in the community the great decisions we're making and being willing to acknowledge there might be a better way to do something and there might be a way to save money um, or to cut expenses that we haven't thought of. And there's a lot of people in your community, really smart people mm -hmm. in your community that have backgrounds in finance or backgrounds in investments or backgrounds in marketing or or that you could call in and serve on these advisory committees. So to me, there's lots of different ways. You may not be able to measure it immediately in the number of hits on a website. I still think if you do marketing messages and an easy to understand finance website rather than the traditional financial transparency with the thousands of links that are just PDF links and people are pouring through the documents, I think you're going to see um, intentional traffic uh to the site and you can always point them back to the finance department's page where they've got you know 10 15 years of budgets they can go right. through <laughs> they, like, hey, nobody got time for that yeah. just a, a nice little saturday to go through yeah, about 15 budgets he has somebody that wants to spend time <laughs> doing that and go nitpick about this or that but most of your people out there are just moms and dads and and taxpayers that want to better understand how the school district is spending their tax dollars and it's up to us to be able to explain that and like you said in a way that, you know, two minutes or less. So you've got to use some of the industry standards and the things we know through research. That four-step plan becomes so important because you've got to know a little bit about what's the history here. You got to, I love doing it now for CISO because I learned about other people's budgets. It's right. not just my school district's budget. It's now working with the client to ask questions. And sometimes they ask questions they've never asked. Sometimes they know the answer to them because they've asked those questions themselves. But the research part, as you know, is my favorite part. Um, the research and evaluation, it makes it sound like I don't, I don't like the middle two. But I just <laughs> think that people get really um, caught up fast in the planning and the implementation part. And it's really what you learn in those bookends of research and evaluation that can really make a difference. Did I answer your question? You did. You did. And that's what I was going to say is for the, for our, for our friends listening, I, this is, I've said it multiple times on the show. One of my favorite things about working at CISO is the conversations we have. And I do this with Julie weekly, if not daily. Sometimes we get on and have conversations about some issues that our clients are having. And that is, I mean, it's, it's making me better at my job. And I hope this, uh, 
this interview and this conversation has helped you with some of the, the complex issues. Because if you're not facing a complex issue currently in school PR, heads up, there's one on the way. It's going to happen. Um, so there's that. And But the, the biggest thing is I know, like, as I'm going through the APR process and have been pretty transparent on the show about it's taken a little bit of time for me to get rolling, but I'm rolling. It's happening. Um, it's all, it's always good to have, you know, Bob's, Nicole's, Julie's, Susan's, Jim's to call and be like, Hey, what am I doing? Am I doing this right? I even called Tracy Jens the other night and I said, I need somebody who doesn't work at CISO to tell me I'm doing this right. Yeah, just to, awful. you know, help me He's out. A good person to call too. So it, it's just these kind of conversations. We have them all the time. And that's one of, this one, we had the same conversation very similar a couple weeks ago, and I was like, this has got to go to the podcast. we got to get this out there. And at the risk of launching into a completely different topic, um, I am going to ask you a question. You've been, on the, you've been on the show enough that we know about a teacher that has impacted your life, and we know some other things in those fun questions at the end. Um, so I'm going to ask you a loaded question, and I'm going to let you answer it how you feel. Okay. Julie, what are you reading? Or have you read anything that has been impactful for you lately? Oh my gosh. You I <laughs> this 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 is a whole nother podcast. Yeah. It's it's a teaser for a later is, episode this okay. season, maybe. Okay. Actually, that is a little loaded because Justin heard me go on a rant the other day um <laughs> about a particular book I'm reading. I have it right here over my shoulder. Can I show show it? I mean it's a it's a podcast. <laughs> We're not using videos, so You're right. I'm going to show it and tell you. Sorry. You have to remind me of those things sometimes. Um, I will tell you that it's called Unreasonable Hospitality. It's by Will. The power of giving people more than they expect. It's a national bestseller. Um, If you've watched the show The Bear, um, it's actually a book about restaurants. And this book makes a small appearance in in, in one of the episodes. Um, just watch for cuz to put his hand on the book. And anyway, um, I actually have to go back and find out which episode it is, but someone told me about it. That's how I heard about the book in the first place, but, um, unreasonable hospitality. So it is about restaurants, but it it definitely can translate, uh, so well to public education. And, and unfortunately for us, not in a good way for us right now. I don't believe that's why I went on a rant that you remember (laughs) my rant, um, so I don't, I don't believe we've been very good in public ed about um, rolling out the proverbial red carpet for prospective families. And we have always um, just kind of assumed that our parents would choose us and that we would be the best choice and they would always think we're the best choice. And as that's changing, not the part about being the best choice, because I still think public ed in so many ways is, is the best choice for in so many communities. Um, but families, our families, our parents, our prospective parents don't always feel that way. Either they've listened to false narratives or things like that. This book is about unleashing unreasonable hospitality in an industry that really needs it. And I believe, think about it, Justin, so many times districts leave their enrollment marketing and their perspective, um, you know, uh, families moving there and enrolling, they leave that to the campuses. And so many times someone picks up the phone at the campus and it's an interruption to an already tough day they're having. And they don't always understand because that, that that's our job to help them from central office to understand the bottom line of why that's important to show, uh, to be hospitable and to show 
um, just, you know, roll out the red carpet. And as you can imagine, why do we love to go to our favorite restaurants or our favorite hotels? It's because of the concierge uh, level of hospitality and it's all the little things they do to make our stay wonderful. You can go to um, 10 hotels and you're gonna remember the one that left you a note or um, did a towel animal on your bed before they <laughs> left or left you mints or whatever it might be. Um, and the hospitality that they give, those things, those are things that stand out in our mind and why we have brand loyalty. Now, we could really dig into this to tell you that we have a generation of young parents out there that don't have brand loyalty. They don't have as much brand loyalty as my generation or the generation um, before me. And so we're, we're dealing with that in churches. Um, we're dealing with that in education. We're dealing with that in a lot of different ways. But um, because they... Um, will choose in the moment what they feel like is the best option to them and not necessarily stick with the same thing over and over again and their brand loyalty, this book becomes all the more important because it talks about your purpose. It talks about being um, hospitable and going above and beyond. And in this particular book, it's about taking the kitchen where the food's prepared and teaming it up with the dining room experience where the, the food is served and um, so many times there, those two groups are at odds in a restaurant. And it really could be the failure of that restaurant when those two groups don't work together, the kitchen group and the dining group. Well, think about that in education. That could be central office versus the campus. It could be a department versus another department. How many times have you gone to ask a question about something and they've pointed fingers, oh, well, that's tech, or that's the budget office, or that's HR, or I don't have anything to do with that. And there's just a lot of finger pointing. And so this book is um, phenomenal. And I know that your listeners cannot see it. <laughs> that out. But I even ordered it off Amazon in a three ring. You see, you're looking at it. In Spiral. A yeah, I read it online. I read it on my Kindle, which is, um, I'm, I've got a goal to read 50 books this year. And I think I'm on 17 already uh, in the middle of February. And I know people are wondering how she getting anything else done. Uh, but I love to read and I'm trying to really get back to it because after COVID, I didn't do much reading. Right. I uh, did a lot of crisis management and a lot of short social media posting and that kind of stuff. And I didn't do much reading, but this has been one of the best books. And I, I love a book that I don't feel like pertains to me. And then all of a sudden it clicks that this is so useful. I found out this morning in my church that um, this is a book that they're using for connections and helping people feel uh, uh, that the church is a place where they belong. Um, and I really, I really think across multiple industries, it's a good book. So that's my recommendation right now. If you haven't read it, Unreasonable Hospitality. It's a pretty quick read. Um, and I, I think it, it really translates well to what public schools are not doing well right now. And I'm just going to give one tip. If, if I don't even care if you're going through budget cuts, if you don't have someone who loves your district, is super knowledgeable about your district, is just... Um, you know, that person that you love talking to that makes people feel better as your enrollment liaison or your um, enrollment concierge, whatever you want to call them, then you're missing out right now because parents have choices and they're not all choosing public ed anymore. Right. And it's really impacting our bottom line in a lot of ways. And I think one of the ways that we can respond to that is to be more hospitable um, and, and again, roll out the red carpet for families that are looking at your district and really spend time building relationships. It makes a difference. 
Well, it sounds like there's a book study coming, a podcast episode coming, and maybe and maybe a presentation needs to be put together and done at Ooh, a conference of some sort, if I we know of idea. one. Um, but that's yeah. why I bought this book, because I wanted to mark it up. That's yeah. the thing. I love reading my Kindle. I really do. But I love to also have the book where I can mark it up and look at it. And um, I think it's I think it's a great book. It, I would love to hear anybody that would be interested in that. Um I would love to hear from them. Yeah. So let's let's uh, let's end with that. If people do want to get a hold of you to talk about this wonderful book you just uh, recommended, or about communicating complex issues, or just to say hi to Julie, how do they get a hold of you? <laughs> well, you can always email me at julie.thanum at vcso.com. Um, I always don't mind giving out my cell phone too. Eight one seven eight zero eight seven two zero four. I'm still on social media somewhat. I'm probably doing it less and less as I, I get busy, but um, at Julie Thanum is where you can find me um, across a couple of different platforms. But um, you can also go on that CISO website and find us there. But um, I would love to visit with anybody that wants to talk about this book um, or any any kind of budget type type things that I can help with. Definitely reach out to Julie. If you have questions, you can reach out to me. But as, uh, as always, Julie, I appreciate the time you've poured into me and others in the industry and always being a trusted person that we can ask questions to and always being willing to jump on at the last minute when Justin realizes, crap, there's only 29 days in February and I have an episode due in four days and we're leaving for Teespring tomorrow. It's so when, yeah, when this releases, Teespring will have wrapped up. So for our Texas friends, we hope you have a great conference and you had a great uh, experience down in Sugarland. We'll be there. We'll be, when you hear this, we'll be gone. So hopefully you came and saw us. But uh, you know, if you're if you're interested in hearing more about this stuff, get a hold of Julie, get a hold of me, um, and as always, we appreciate you listening to the show and being supporters. And you know, if you wanna, if you have an idea for an episode or anything to help us close out this season as we head towards the summer, let us know. We, we'd love to talk about just about anything. And uh, as always, let's go out there and be a little better at our jobs every day. <laughs>